Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research, a broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated. Hello and welcome to the Journey Mindset Podcast. This is episode number four, and my name is Sean Ulrich, and I'm joined by my co-host Ron Shear, and I am a Cornerstone Financial Consultant, a financial advisor here in Washington, Missouri, and Ron is a former financial advisor with a wealth of knowledge on all things investing, so we're lucky to have him today. So Ron, how are you doing this morning, man? And, and tell us about something that you're doing to enjoy your journey along the way. Oh, I'm uh, I'm enjoying a little drier weather today. You know, it's been so doggone rainy. You can't uh, you can't. <laughs> there's a lot of things that you want to do, but a lot of things you can't do. And and uh, uh, nice shine, sunshiny days like this gives uh, me an opportunity to do something that's. Uh, and I think you know this about me, but I like classic cars. And and uh, there's a car show coming up, a memorial classic car show for Alec Ingram, who was a young man who lost his life to cancer mm-hmm. here. Uh, just about a, a, a year ago, but that uh, Memorial Car Show is going to be on June the 6th over in uh, St. Charles. So I've been getting my car kind of cleaned up and shined up and ready to go and and uh, or one of my cars. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I've been doing on my journey. And uh, that and, and opening and closing the umbrella, that's been about it. <laughs> I was going to say, I loved hearing about that event. I really look forward to being able to check that out and hopefully get a good glance at your car. I don't think I've ever gotten to check that out up until this point. Well, I think you've, I think you may have seen one of them. I have a 34 Ford pickup with, uh, uh, and it's, it's, it's yellow. It's not one of those knock your, knock your head off yellow. It's kind of a subdued (laughs) yellow, but it's a really neat and fun truck. And then I have a 68 Corvette convertible, which is, uh, is something, uh, you know, I was 16 and, in uh, 1968. So if you're any good at math, you can probably figure out where I, how old I am, you know, or how young I still am. But anyway, so that's uh, that's kind of fun. But yeah, I'll make a point that uh, that you get to see those cars, and because uh, it is fun, it's something that I enjoy doing. It's uh, I don't live in the past, but I certainly do like and have some good memories when I look in the rearview mirror, thinking about some of the things in my life, particularly those cars. And I love that you have that too. I love that you have those. And I, I got to say for myself. I spent this past weekend, Memorial Day weekend, with my family. Uh, my dad rented a lake place, and so we were able to just kind of hang out, go out on the boat for a little bit. And unfortunately, Ron, I made the poor decision of wearing my hat backwards on a very, very sunny day, and I ended up with a sunburn, uh, literally a half moon in the middle of my forehead that is now peeling. <laughs> I, I, I can see it, you know, I guess. Uh, well, I don't know what I'd say about wearing that hat backwards, but maybe... Uh, <laughs> And maybe we'll just leave it there, but uh, yeah, I can I can tell that you uh, you got scorched a little. Yeah, that's just a poor life decision on my part that I'll just learn from and, and I'll get better. So oh, you're entitled. That's right. So just to recap, Ryan, what we've covered up and until this point, we started off this podcast just talking about seven moves that people can make to set themselves up for a wise investing future, and then after that, we kind of journeyed towards 
What does it look like to invest throughout different age groups, starting with your 20s and working, working our way all the way up into our 80s? And so if you haven't gotten the chance to check out those earlier podcasts, please go back uh, and check those out. Uh, but moving forward into what we're actually talking about today, we're going to talk about understanding different investment options and different investment choices that people have uh, in today's market. And so you can kind of think of this show like going to a store. You know, if you're somebody that's considering investing for the first time, or maybe you're somebody that's already starting investing, uh, we're going to try our best to recap on today's show different investment options that people may have. So before we get to that, uh, Ron, you know, I was going to try to give a, a general overview of actually what's going on in today's market, uh, if that sounds good with you. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a personally, personally, it's a great time to be talking about that because, you know, we've really been through some very, very difficult times, not, uh, not just economically in the market and, uh, you know, as a nation. And we're starting to get, uh, you know, just like those raindrops are starting to disappear. We're starting to see some sunshine. Uh, even in the market. And, you know, those, those numbers are looking pretty good. You, you should share them. Definitely, definitely. So at the, at the time of this podcast, our market is actually up 32% from its March 23rd low, uh, which is really just kind of the low point that the market hit with uh, this coronavirus pandemic going down the way that it did, which gets us just a little bit over halfway back up to where it was at its high before the pandemic hit. And so, you know, one way that we can track this is by looking at the S&P 500. And so the S&P 500 is a stock market index that tracks the performance of the 500 largest companies on stock exchanges in the United States. And it's actually still down 9% year to date, but we have actually two other indices that we pay attention to. And so the other two are the Dow Jones, which is down 14%. And the Dow Jones is comprised of the 30 uh, of thirty large cap blue chip companies. And by blue chip, we just mean really well known. And really a big reason for the Dow Jones being down for 14% is Boeing uh, and just kind of all the implications that have come along with some of the problems that Boeing has had with their, plane, with their planes and just a lot of less uh, travel happening right now. Right. And, and so getting to the final indice that we like to pay attention to, uh, is the NASDAQ. And so the NASDAQ is actually up 3% this year. And the NASDAQ is comprised of 100 of the largest non-financial companies. But it's also cap-weighted, which means that it gives a little bit more value to the bigger companies on the index. And so just some implications that have come out of those three indices are that commercial real estate's in a tough spot because so many of the companies like we've been paying attention to are starting to shift towards working from home and just not really seeing a huge need for that physical piece of real estate. Uh, and one of the uh, more interesting things to note is that Mall of America has actually missed two loan payments, which as we can all imagine is not not a great sign. So, uh, you know, kind of the last observation that I made before we kind of get your take on the overall market, Ron, is that there's just growing uh, tensions between the United States and China because the United States is actually proposing some more guidelines, some more regulations before a Chinese company can be listed uh, on American stock exchanges. And it just essentially holds them a little bit more accountable for how they report uh, their financials. And so, Ron, kind of what's your take on what's going on in the market today? Well, I think it's a lot of good news because the market itself is kind of a forerunner or a precursor of what the overall economy is starting to, uh, to, to do and starting to move. And there's no question things are starting to open up a little bit. You can even see it in our community here and and beyond, uh, there's more traffic. People are moving around. Uh, 
uh, as we try to recover or get back uh, to what we know as as normal, whether it's the old normal or the new normal, and I kind of detest that uh, that term, new normal, because uh, I didn't really find that there was a whole lot wrong with the old normal, but then again, I'm an old man, and that's just the way things go. <laughs> but uh, I'm happy to see that uh, we are taking a hard look at our relationship with China. I mean, you know, relationships with any country is like a relationship with a person. It's based uh, it's based primarily on trust, and, and we've learned... Uh, I think the hard way a number of times. In fact, I guess as a country, we lose, we learn our lessons uh, the hard way, and then we relearn, and then we relearn, and we relearn. And I think we've kind of it's come to light now that the Chinese have not uh, dealt with us in a fair way, um, and there's no political uh, agenda involved in that comment. Uh, I think this latest thing with the coronavirus and and uh, what it appears uh, has has happened is uh, is not a, a world-friendly event. And I don't think it's just our country that's going to have some hard and tough questions for the Chinese. And it's not the Chinese people. Don't misunderstand, because they're very peace-loving and good good people. But we're talking about the the uh, the people that are in, in control, the head of the Chinese communist government. And that's, uh, that's who really, I think, and we should remind ourselves of that uh, uh, always, because it's not it's not the people; it's the government. But they've uh, they've absolutely uh, they've they've out and out lied to us and uh, been very disingenuous and and they haven't been fair in uh, uh, with dealing with our intellectual property and uh, a lot of the other uh, uh, developments that we've had. There, uh, there's some growing evidence that they are more than happy to steal our technology and what we know how to do well. No doubt. And I think that if you're an investor that wants to be diversified and you're an investor that wants to consider investing in international companies in general, this is a good thing. It's a very good thing for companies to be held accountable, especially with how they report, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, the Dodd-Frank law puts the fear of God into a company CEO or a CFO. or uh, When you sign off on the financials for your corporation, that those those facts and those figures are accurate based on the knowledge that you have. You're putting your own, your own life and liberty on the line because if it's found out, found out that you actually falsified, knowingly falsified those uh, those numbers, you've got a major problem. And the Chinese don't are not held to that standard because they they're a, a, a government run. Uh, most of their businesses are government run or government influenced. And uh, that's, that's, that's not, they don't hold themselves to that same standard that we do in this country. That's right. That's right. And so ending our market recap, we're going to bust into just what we're talking about today, which is if you are somebody that is considering investing, or if you're somebody that's currently investing, we're just going to try to paint a broad picture of just kind of the different investment choices or the different investment options that one might have. And, and just to kind of remind you, you know, this is, I'm Sean Ulrich with Cornerstone Financial Consultants, and this is Ron Shear, a former advisor that you're listening to. And so we're going to start with Number one, just talking about mutual funds. So, Ron, if you're an investor that's going to a financial advisor or somebody that, you know, speaks on financial advice, usually the first thing they're going to talk to you about are mutual funds. And so mutual funds, uh, to put it as simply as possible, are usually just a collection of different investments. And to even, you know, put it a little bit more simply than that, it can be a group of stocks or a mutual fund can be a group of stocks, bonds, and other securities that comprise that mutual fund. And so the most famous type of a mutual fund is just an index fund. 
which means that their investment objective, the whole reason the fund was put together, was to do exactly what the market is doing as a whole. And so it can get a lot more complicated than that uh, when you talk about, you know, just what exactly uh, mutual funds are created for. But the goal here is that, you know, the mutual fund that you decide to invest in fits your particular investment objective. And so one of the most common investment objectives is just growth. People want to see, all right, if I'm going to invest my money into this mutual fund, I want to see it appreciate or I want to see it grow, grow in value. And so these funds have a strategy in place uh, that gives an investor a specified goal, you know, for their return. So, Ron, do you have any other thoughts on how you would explain a mutual fund to someone? No, I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good overall explanation of it. It always takes that, you know, we've t we've been taught, and even in high school economics or, or uh, what a level of education you might have, and there's nothing that's overly complicated about it. Uh, the whole idea of a mutual fund is to give you diversification. In other words, your portfolio or the mutual fund is built on lots of different individual parts so that at any given time, if one company might be struggling, uh, there might be a dozen or, or 400 companies in the mutual fund that are absolutely thriving. So what it really tries to do is it mitigates the loss. It tries to keep the losses at a minimum, and it gives the opportunity for the mutual fund through the growth of each individual piece inside the mutual fund to give you growth. At, uh, it's growth with safety. Now, I don't, don't think that I'm, not, that I'm saying that a mutual fund can't go down in value because they certainly can, and they, and they certainly will. At, at certain times. And we're in one of those periods right now where mutual funds and, and individual stocks are, uh, uh, which, you know, our bonds, uh, they are not faring all that well, starting to do a little better. Bonds, on the other hand, if you have a mutual fund that's built on bonds, you're probably looking in pretty good shape because they're not so much affected by what the overall stock market is, but they can be affected by what interest rates do. Think of bonds and interest rates as a seesaw. When interest rates nationally go down, Price goes up. Price goes up. That's right. The other, the conversely, if the the uh, uh, price goes down, it's because interest rates are going uh, up. Are going up. So I mean, yep. it's it's a fairly basic thing, but it's 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 diversification on steroids, or what mutual funds are and ETFs. Uh, I mean, I think that's one of the bullet points on your list too. Not a whole lot different. Yeah, exactly. And so if we just jump right into ETFs, these are similar to mutual funds, meaning that they're also collections of investments that can be comprised of stocks, bonds, and other securities. But one of the big differences is that they're similar to stocks and that they trade intraday. And so if you choose to invest in a mutual fund, that's actually not going to trade until the end of the day. So depending upon your time zone here in, in Central America, or right. you know the middle of America, I should, I should say, not Central America. Um, you know, that usually happens right around 3.05 or so, 3 o'clock. And so when you talk about ETFs, it gives the investor the opportunity to make a trade during the trading day. So say there's a bunch of fluctuation that's going on throughout a trading day, ETFs allow you to take advantage of that while still being in uh, funds, you know, similar to mutual funds. And so, you know, these are becoming increasingly popular because of that investment flexibility. And I think one thing that's worth mentioning is that 
along with investment flexibility may come the temptation to trade too much, to be, you know, be a day trader. Oh, I'm just going to try to take advantage of all these different price sure. changes throughout the day, which is not usually the best idea for mutual funds, which kind of like we mentioned earlier, are usually set up to be long-term plays. So they should, you, should always yeah. be looked at as long-term investments, mutual funds. And for that part, uh, ETFs, even though they do have slightly more liquidity during the trading day, as you just mentioned, they still should be viewed as long-term investments. I definitely agree. And I can see you know, advantages to both. If you're somebody that likes to be in mutual funds and it's a good quality mutual fund, great. If you're somebody that likes to be in a good quality ETF, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be considered before you make that intraday trade, but that's one of the biggest advantages to having a financial advisor and having somebody that you can pick up that phone and call and say, what do you think? You know, kind of get our perspective before they make a move like that. That's right. It's a, it's a journey that uh, some people, you can certainly make this journey on your own. It takes, uh, it takes some reading. It's not, it's not rocket science. And yep. I wouldn't try to tell people it is, it's not the practice of medicine, but yeah. it, it, people can master this. They can do it, but it takes, it takes time on the job. You have to stay with it, but it can, you can, you can do it on your own. A lot of people do uh, typically, and we're thankful for this, uh, they, uh, they want the help and companionship on this financial journey. They want somebody yep. to go along with them. Definitely. And if you are somebody that's looking to do that, you can reach out to us at 636-239-5000. But as we keep rocking and rolling here, we're moving right along to stocks. And so a stock is just an investment in an individual company. And so I think the thing that needs to be said about people that choose to invest in individual companies is you usually want to have a really, really good idea of what you're looking for. And this can be usually capitalized on and taken advantage of if you're somebody that you know, has done the effort on the front end to understand, you know, what's going on with the company? Why are they being successful? Why do you still think they're going to be successful before you make that decision to invest in them? And so stock prices as a whole, they tend to fluctuate a lot higher and a lot lower, just kind of in the short term, depending upon the company, mm -hmm. as opposed to mutual funds, which like we said, trade at the end of the trading day. So it just makes investing in individual stocks a little bit more risky for that average investor. And so with all those precautions that need to be taken when investing in individual stocks, Ron, I know that we at Cornerstone, we do believe that there are times and circumstances that do allow for investors to consider individual stock investing. And so, you know, do you have any more thoughts on investing in individual stocks, Ron? Well, I do. Uh, the the uh, business has changed so significantly than uh, from where it's where I started 30 years ago. Most uh, most of our clients uh, back 30 years ago in uh, uh, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, were stock traders. They were individual stock traders. And uh, I have to be honest with you, it seemed to me that the business was a lot more fun back in those days. <laughs> um, okay. Well, individual stocks, you, you get to know a company, and uh, you know what they're capable of doing, and you know how solidly they're run. And, and uh, it gives you an opportunity to really dig in and learn about individual companies. When you your when your your practice changes, and you become more mutual fund oriented, there's a disconnect there because yeah. you've got a fund manager, 
who actually holds all that head knowledge and those financial numbers that you used to know about an individual company. Yeah, I can see how that would be a ton of fun. So Ron, hypothetically speaking, can you give us an example of what you know an individual or a group of individuals might do in order to be successful picking individual stocks? We have an investment club here, and it's a group of, uh, a group of ladies, and uh, they are individual stock pickers, those ladies are. And they have done phenomenally well. It's unbelievable how they've done. And the reason that they've done well is because they typically stay with companies that they know. Wow. I love that. And I can say, you know, putting myself in the perspective of somebody that hypothetically started an investment club uh, would be, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy the process of looking into individual companies. And you can see that if you're somebody that's done this for a long enough time, it is possible. It is possible to have success. And like what you were talking about, you know, it could also be a lot of fun. It could also be a lot of fun to see that hard work that you've put in pay off because you have that knowledge. I think that's right. I think when you when we were back in the stock trading days, I think we were all a little more engaged in the business and yes. than uh, looking at, you know, research reports that show what uh, the five, the 10, the 20 year uh, average returns are on some of these mutual funds, and that's all very good knowledge, and, and good good knowledge, and that's fun, and that's how you you have to chart and plot how you're going to design a portfolio. But still, when you know about a CEO of a certain company and what they've got in the pipeline, things that they might be developing, there's an engaging there is an engaging factor with that type of research and knowing those companies that you don't typically have with a mutual fund. I love that. I love that too. And I can say just a quick little personal note to here. I was watching The Pursuit of Happiness the other day with Will Smith. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to see that movie, oh, yeah. but yes. just a story of a guy struggling. He sees the success that a stock broker is having at the time. And the movie is just his pursuit to put himself in a situation that's going to you know, put his family in a really good spot. And I love stuff like that. I love movies like that. Well, it's a good moral message movie. Also, what was your biggest takeaway? What, what made the difference in Will Smith? That's a great, that's a great, great question. So there's this uh, scene with his son, with his young son, where his young son's playing basketball. He's got to be, I don't know, I'm not even going to guess his age, maybe five, six, seven at the time. And Will Smith says to his son, who has said to his dad, you know, I love being out here. I love playing basketball. Will Smith says to his son, don't get your hopes up. Initially, he initially says to his son, don't get your hopes up because I wasn't that good. Don't spend all your time out here wasting your time. And so his son kind of just chucks the ball down to the opposite end of the court. And you could tell he's ready to leave after his dad said that. And so his dad kind of puts his head down, realizing that he made a mistake. He made a mistake saying to his son, don't pursue something because I wasn't good at it. And so it's a really, you know, a big culmination in that movie at the time where Will Smith, you know, has got his hand up against the fence and now he's looking down at his son and he just says, don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do something. And he's like, you got that? Not even me. And talking down to his little son. And so it was giving me chills, you well, know, to think back in the movie about it. It was his dogged, uh, uh, relentless uh, pursuit of a career that he wanted and, uh, uh, that's that's what it takes, not in just this job, but any job. And the other thing that I took away from that is he he always had a, a, a he always had the idea that he put his clients ahead of himself and what he needed, and that uh, that's that's always a winning combination. If uh, if we do uh, do the right job and the right thing for our clients, uh, it's uh, not only is it personally rewarding, but it it also has a financial reward to it, and that's 
that's the whole ball game right there. That's it. That's it. So moving right along, we are actually going to st- uh, move on to talking about bonds. And so, R- Ron, kind of like we talked about earlier, bonds can be a tricky investment right now if you're strictly just investing in bonds on their own. Because in, in today's investing environment, at the time of you know us recording this, the bond yield is right around 0.6%, you know, maybe at its best 0.07%, which means that an investor will make you know, less than 1% on their money if they choose to invest in a bond. Uh, and that's the 10-year yield that right. I'm talking about right, right now, which can just make it difficult for somebody to, like we've talked about in earlier podcasts, keep up with inflation, keep up with the rising pro- cost of goods. Uh, now, that being said, there are bond investments that we at Cornerstone do enjoy and that we do uh, talk about with some of our clients that are looking for uh, some bond investments, which are just called short-term bond funds, mm-hmm. which typically have maturities ranging from two to five years that have a little bit less volatility than regular bonds. So do you have any more thoughts on bonds, Ron? Well, I do. Bonds are completely different than stocks. You know, stocks represent a, a percentage or a piece of ownership of a corporation. And a bond, when you really think about what a bond is, is you're, uh, you're actually taking your money and you're making a loan. Whether it's a government bond, then it's a loan to the government. If it's yeah. a corporate bond to to General Electric, then you're actually loaning General Electric money by buying and purchasing one of their bonds. And the agreement is, a con- it's a contractual thing, and you get a piece of paper typically, or at least you used to. Uh, it's, it's a contractual agreement saying that you're going to loan somebody this money, whether it's U.S. government or a corporation, you're going to loan them X amount of money for X amount of period of time for a, a percentage of, of interest rate percentage. The uh, typical problem with the bond market right now is interest rates are so incredibly low that uh, there isn't just a whole lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of, of excitement. I can remember when I really started in the business, uh, we saw some bonds uh, that had six, six seven, eight percent uh, interest rate returns. And if you go back into uh, into the uh, uh, into the eighties. Uh, interest rates were incredibly high at that in certain times of of, uh, of our history, but th- to go along with that, what we failed sometimes to recognize is that inflation was also at a at a rampant rate. It was yep. also very high, and that's the one thing that you have to remember about. You don't ever want to buy a complete bond portfolio or put all your monies into bonds because the returns most times will not get above what inflation is. So you have to have a piece that needs to be either in stocks or in mutual funds that give you some growth, and and that's that's the key to it. You have to get over the inflation because the purchasing power goes away every year. The dollar buys a little bit less every year because of inflation. That's right. That's right. And so that's why it is important to be diversified. And it's just important to know. It's important to know the environment when you're considering different investments. And if you are somebody that's looking for a little bit more safety uh, than maybe, you know, an average investor, it's just those are good things to be able to know. It's a good thing to be able to reach out to an advisor and just say, hey, what's going on with bonds right now? What's going on with the bond rate environment? And is that a wise decision for me to make? Sure. You know, the next thing we're going to move on to are just certificates of deposit, uh, and they're usually referred to, in short, as CDs. Mm -hmm. And so, Ron, would you like to take the lead on explaining what a CD is and why an investor would consider purchasing a CD? Well, uh, the CDs are, are, uh, it's actually a contract that you make with your local bank or with a bank, and and, and banks in the old days used uh, 
issued CDs to raise deposits to fund their loan demand and those types of things. Today, since 2008, 2009, it's, it's, uh, it's more common for banks to go to the federal government and, and, uh, and borrow money through actually through the Fed. And uh, you don't see as much CD activity. I mean, banks still offer them, but uh, interest rates all being equal, their uh, 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 CD rates are, are uh, fairly low. But here again, it's uh, a whole lot like a bond to the extent that you have a certain agreed length of time. That's the, that's the length of your uh, CD. Um, you have a stated date of maturity, and you have a stated amount of return. And it's... Uh, uh, people use them a lot, and they have used them more in the past. Uh, I don't believe that CDs are quite as popular right now, probably because of interest rates being low more than anything. Yes. That's, uh, but, but here again, for, for very, very conservative people who do not like the market and they just don't have the stomach uh, for, the, uh, for the volatility that sometimes comes along with, uh, with the market and uh, being invested in the market— Certificates are a, a place to put money. It's a, it's a good safe place, um, and you know there's I, I hate to say this, but there's a lot of people not a lot of people, but there's some people in our business that kind of want to shame investors for investing in CDs, and they shouldn't do that because it all comes down to what the general nature of the investor is. If if they're just market adverse, then then a CD is certainly a, one of those possibilities, a place where they can put money. That's very well said. And I'll also add that, you know, sometimes with CDs, you can actually get a little bit of a better percentage return than just an average savings account. So say you're somebody that is a conservative investor and you're making the decision between putting money into a regular savings account or a CD, sometimes you can get a greater return with a CD. And I think another thing that needs to be said about CDs are that they're backed by the FDIC, which just means that that money is guaranteed up to $250,000 per account uh, per bank. And so you can get, uh, I guess, you're kind of creative with that if you really want to spread your CDs out. Oh, sure. And people people have gotten good at that through the years. And then you've got multiple banks in the community. And, and it can work out very, very well for people who uh, who want to invest uh, typically in those products that are guaranteed and then you are going to be safe. That's very well said. And so once again, you know, this, I'm Sean Ulrich. Uh, we're with Ron Shear. We're with Cornerstone Financial Consultants, just talking about giving people different investment uh, options, different investment choices. And so this is actually the last one that we're going to talk about today, Ron. We are going to talk about annuities. And uh, so, you know, we could do an entire show on annuities themselves. We're going to try to recap it uh, within reason here. But just to do a pretty brief uh, overview of different annuity uh, investments that people could potentially make, you're looking at number one, something that's just called a fixed annuity, where just like it states, the investor earns a very specific agreed upon return every year. That's a fixed annuity. A variable annuity which is basically a mutual fund inside of an insurance product that return fluctuates just like a mutual fund would, depending upon what kind of an investment you choose to invest in. And then number three, we have what's called an equity indexed annuity, which is a type of fixed annuity uh, whose return is being partially based on an equities index, usually the S&P 500. And it'll usually have a partition... I'm fumbling over my words here. I can do it. It'll usually have a participation rate of 80% of the market upside with some downside protection. And so if, if it sounds like I was just speaking a different language to some people, Ron, 
that's why it's nice to have somebody to be able to reach out and talk to. Well, it, it, it certainly is. And there's a certain place uh, and a functionality for all of these investments. And I have to be honest with you, to, to, to in the be- very, very be- beginning, I'll say this. And equity indexed annuity was a product that I'd studied for many, many years, and I was never adequately able to explain it to any of my clients. And for that reason, I don't think I ever purchased an equity index annuity <laughs> for any of my clients. Okay. Um, I, I have done, uh, through the years, a number of fixed, uh, fixed annuities, which take on, Sean, the characteristics of a certificate of deposit. The contract happens to be not with a bank, but it happens to be with an insurance company. And uh, for a stated period of time at a stated return. The other thing that uh, all annuities enjoy, or the majority of annuities enjoy, there are a few exceptions, they all enjoy uh, tax-deferred status. So in other words, if you buy or put money into a fixed annuity, a variable annuity, or an equity-indexed annuity, that money is going to grow in there uh, tax-deferred. In other words, you don't pay any taxes year to year. You only pay taxes on the growth at the time that you start to take the money out of an annuity. Uh, it's a, it's, it, it, it has the appearance in many ways of a very, very simple, very straightforward investment. Annuities can be very, very complicated. Yes. And it, it, takes, uh, it, it takes a lot of study and research to, to really get it right. It does. Definitely. And so just to kind of recap what I said to start, uh, just generally speaking, an annuity is an agreed upon contract between an investor and an insurance company that allows that investor to see either a very specific or fixed rate of return, like 3%, or just kind of a fluctuating range of returns between 1%, sometimes all the way up to 8% with some downside protection added in there which hypothetically sounds pretty great a lot of the time to a lot of investors. Sure. But the thing that you have to consider with annuities is that, is that there are usually uh, you know, a lot of other things to consider when you uh, pair that uh, with a retirement account, which are some of the things that we talk about with our clients. And so you know, just some things to consider are that really the only annuity that will allow an investor to participate uh, in a great year that's happening is a variable annuity. And, and that's just because of, uh, like we had talked about, kind of those specified rates that are sometimes agreed upon. Well, the thing is, with a variable annuity, for the most part, you're using, actually, they don't call them mutual. They're actually mutual funds that are inside of that variable annuity contract that uh, grow tax deferred. Uh, and here again, if we have a stellar year like we had in uh, 2019, uh, the returns on a variable annuity would have been just astronomical. Yes, yes. And just like returns in mutual funds and anything else, uh, or most investments, not bonds particularly, are CDs, but those returns were just absolutely phenomenal in 2019 for the simple reason the market reached a, an all-time high and the economy was just vibrant and booming. Um, where do we want to go with this? I'm going to say that that many, many times it takes a good amount of research and you have to really, from our perspective as being in this business, we have to really know our clients incredibly and extremely well to make this investment work. One of the things I think that needs to be always pointed out, the expense ratios in most annuities, particularly variable annuities, are going to be much higher than those that are in a in a an individual mutual fund. Definitely, and and to follow up on your point too, that expense ratio is just the cost that it 
uh, cost the investor to be in that fund year after year. And so that was going to be my second point was just usually there's a lot of fees that come along with annuities, uh, which make, you know, if you're somebody that's only getting, you know, that 3% return with downside protection, it just makes it a little bit less appealing over a long period of time when you factor in those fees that come along with it. Well, the other thing is, is there are a lot of people, and I've seen this in a practical application, people who are very, very high income, highly compensated people will uh, max out their 401k. They max out everything that they can to defer their taxes. And the one thing that does help, and and a good many times you see high income people uh, will put money into a variable annuity because they, they, uh, uh, they can get some tax deferral there. And that's uh, that becomes meaningful at that sometimes at those income levels. But uh, what we're really saying is, is that just like any other investment, an annuity may be a good choice for a client, but it can't be done with just a few questions. You have to really know and understand and really adequately explain all the things that annuity will do, all the things that an annuity will not do, and make sure to ascertain it's a good fit for your client. No doubt. No doubt. And I can, I have one more point to make about annuities as well, is that at times, not always, annuities tend to be really, really pushed at times of big time fear because people love that word guarantee. People love it when people are able to throw in guarantee with an investment. And I've heard it said, you know, I listened to a a group of uh, guys that work on uh, a show similar to ourselves and they've said about guarantees or that, and this is the quote, guarantee can sometimes be a slow poison to long-term returns. And so I don't think that that's a reason to say that people shouldn't invest in annuities, but just like what you were talking about, Ron, make sure that we as investors really, really know our clients to be able to make that recommendation. Well, that's just it. It's a very, on its face, it looks, it's like a lot of things. It looks very simple and very easy to understand, but there are a lot of I'm not going to say that it's hidden language. That's not the point. The point is, is they're more complicated than just what, what meets the eye. They truly are. And it takes a great amount of work to, to, to really ascertain whether that's a good fit for a, uh, for a client, particularly when you get into the variable annuity and into the uh, index annuity. Now, fixed annuities, uh, they still, there still are some, some pick locks in there, things that you have to know and understand that are a little different than a CD. But, at, at, you know, if, if you look at it long enough, sometimes it's a very, very good fit for a client. I'm not saying yeah. that, that you shouldn't use them, but always make a point to, to be able to understand something. Yes. And, and a lot of times I, I tell my clients, it isn't your ability or your inability to understand what I'm saying. It's my inability to adequately explain it. Yeah. And I love both of our perspectives going into this, too, because I think that, you know, these are products and all these different investment opportunities that we're talking about for people to be able to put each one of them very simply. That's a challenge. That's a challenge to be able to do. It is. It is. And, and my clients are all very, very smart. And, and, and I, I made that statement many times that uh, it, it isn't has nothing to do with your inability to understand. It has everything with my ability to explain <laughs> the process. Definitely, definitely. So that wraps up our show for today as far as considering different investment opportunities or just different investment choices that you may have. There's other things that people can invest in. We just kind of try to highlight those main six. 
Uh, you know, before we kind of wrap this thing up, Ron, do you have any final thoughts on just kind of different investment choices or options uh, that we've talked about today? Well, I've always believed that that uh, you, you should start out uh, simple. And I think the rule that that never should be broken as an investor or as a person in the financial services businesses is uh, understanding and, and getting to a point with a client where they understand how they're invested and understanding what they're invested in. Because I fully believe when people don't understand what their investment is, it creates anxiety and fear is the next door neighbor of anxiety. And we're not in this business to create fear in people. This is a, a long-term journey that we want you to enjoy the ride and we want to en- you to enjoy the, uh, the fruits of, the, of, the, uh, of your investing uh, throughout the years. And we don't want to do that in a, in a realm of fear. And we try to do that and mitigate that every way we can. The best way we know how to do that is so everybody understands what, uh, what their investments are, what they will do and what they won't do. That's right. That's absolutely right. And so, guys, just be sure to connect with us at thejourneymindset.com and reach out to us. Reach out to us at Cornerstone Financial Consultants in Washington, Missouri at 636-239-5000. If you're somebody that's looking to connect and learn more about what we talked about, maybe we didn't explain it perfectly. Maybe you listen to this and you have a couple more questions that you'd like to ask please feel free to reach out to us so we can clarify on, you know, just the different investment options that we talked about today. Some of them can be layered, uh, but I feel like, you know, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about how we were able to recap some different investment options today. And so our goal is to always get to know your particular situation and to see how we can help. And so I just want to say a big thanks to everybody that tuned in today. And please feel free to tune in next time to learn about the difference between active investing and passive investing. And so I'm Sean Ulrich. Uh, You you are also hearing from Ron Shear. I am an active uh, financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial Consultants. Look forward to uh, bringing you our next podcast. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research, a broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated.